It's all happening, Stewie. What do we got this week? On this week's show, NBL free agency goes ballistic. The second test between the Windies and England. Snitches don't get stitches. Round seven of the AFL. And we actually remember to talk about the shutdown of the VFL. Let's go. Unfortunately, we start on sombre news once again this week with the tragic passing of Shane Tuck. You could be forgiven for thinking that Shane lived in his father's shadow as a seven-time premiership player for the Hawthorne Hawks and the all-time games played record holder with 427. But Shane played 173 in his own right for nearly a decade. He was just 38. And with news just to hand, we also mourn the passing of adopted Australian Ekaterina Alexandrovskaya, who, at just 20 years old, passed away after competing for Australia as a figure skater at the 2018 Winter Olympics. I hate to echo what I said last week, but again, you know, two taken far too early. Just a tragedy. Well, Shui, there's no easy segue, but uh, as we do at the top of the show every week, what caught your eye and what did you miss? Well, what caught my eye this week was the Teenage Mutant English Turtles, a.k.a. the English cricket team's post attack. The World Eleven. The World Eleven, yeah. So Stuart Broad and Sam Curran decided they were going to wear these Japanese Hachimaki-style headbands, presumably to intimidate the West Indian batsmen, like Daniel-san in the... You know, in the or something <laughs> like, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, but... It kind of took me back a little bit to the NBA a couple of seasons ago when these things really took off. You had guys like Jimmy Butler and Darren Fox and Jarrett Allen, Drew Holiday, Montrez Harrell, Mike Scott, Donatello, all wearing them. The league banned them because apparently teams had raised concerns regarding safety and consistency of size, length, and how they are tied, which requires a thorough review before consideration of any rule change. Mike Scott actually mentioned in a tweet that he was told by the league that they were unprofessional, so... Who knows what the, the real answer is. But anyway, the reason it caught my eye... Sorry, Nath, do you have something? Oh, I was just going to say, you know, Daniel's son was painting fences. Perhaps, you know, Stewie Broad can get out their paintbrush and paint the boundary fence, you know, <laughs> down there at Manchester. I don't think they're painted. I think they're all advert. Oh, of course. Oh, so outdated these days. <laughs> you can paint them still. I'm so, I'm so, so old school. Well, anything to get rid of ads. Um, but look, the main reason it caught my eye was just how ridiculous they look. They, they just don't work on gangly, pale white guys with short blonde locks. Agreed. I mean, grow a main 1970s mo like a Graham Gooch or you know what Mitchell Johnson had. Just Lily. lose the horrible headbands. How about yourself? Hey Amen. Uh, well, first of all, this one circulated for a little while. I'm a bit late on this one. It was actually around last week. But did you see that picture of that bat in the Philippines? <laughs> yeah. Holy shit! Ridiculous. Its head was bigger than a fox's, and it had the kind of wingspan that would make Jay Billis gush on draft night. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so that's, but in all seriousness, though, I, what really caught my eye this week was the young guns in the AFL. So I, this was the first kind of full game I got to see of Isaac Rankin for the Gold Coast, yep. uh, who had another two goals and 16 touches. And for a bloke that's only played two games, he already has a better highlight reel than some blokes that have played 50 he games. He really does, doesn't he? <laughs> More he's, magnificent he's goals. The king of the soccer's already. Oh, he really is. And I didn't say last week, but that little tap he did was shades of Nick Davis at the SCG to beat the Cats. Oh, Nick Davis! Yeah, yeah. Nick Davis! He is a, he is a phenomenon. 
Um, then Michael Frederick for Frio, an absolute speedster, yeah, was one of the few bright lights for the Dockers in their match and had a goal on Dabu. He did, yeah, Freddie Fredericks, as they've dubbed him. And then for my Swannies, uh, Elijah Taylor had a decent little, you know, he looks to be quite a zippy little player too, so I'm hopeful that he might have a nice career for us. And of course, he nearly looked to injure himself as well, just to follow in the footsteps of his teammates. Just to show he's a real swan. That's right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's what I what caught my eye, mate. What'd you miss? The bloody Western Bulldogs Essendon game that I was amped for last week. <laughs> Interestingly, though, I've noticed the AFL games I mentioned for this in previous weeks have all been rubbish. The Dogs beat Essendon by 42, Geelong beat Brisbane by 27, Geelong beat Gold Coast by 37, and so on. Oh, you're the so, kiss of death, Stuart. Yeah, I guess I'm not overly disappointed in missing it. How about yourself? Can you just tip a crappy game for this weekend for what you're amped for so that you don't ruin a good game? I, I should. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I myself, I missed most of Geelong Collingwood, unfortunately. It was a game that we actually thought about getting tickets to, but it was my mum's birthday, so we went out for dinner. I caught probably 40-odd minutes on the radio, and I saw the last 10 minutes, so I saw the finale of it. Uh, but yeah, that's what I missed. I would have liked to have seen maybe a little bit more of that one. How inconsiderate a family sometimes. I know, I know. <laughs> How dare they be born many years before games like this. No, it could, it could be worse. It could be like having a wedding on grand final day. Or True. Something. Well, quick little news roundup, Shui. Yeah, so we start off with rugby. Um, there's a bit of talk this year that the Bledisloe Cup between Australia and the All Blacks could be extended from three to five games, extending the pain for most Australians who enjoy rugby. Such a <laughs> terrible idea. Can we just shrink it to one game or, or, or none, perhaps? I'd normally say they're trying to get the crowds up, but I don't think there'll be many crowds. Well, probably not, no. And also we had four Warriors players leave their hub to go home to New Zealand, citing that they were homesick, which understandable I guess yeah and we've talked about the New Zealand players being under the pump the most as far as what they've had to commit to in the Australian leagues mm, so you can't blame them really no not at all uh, in the motorsport world Lewis Hamilton won the Hungarian GP over the weekend in the F1 the eighth time he's won bringing him one step closer to Schumacher on the all-time list and in the MotoGP Fabio Quartararo Quartararo <laughs> close enough <laughs> won the Spain MotoGP he's the first Frenchman to win the MotoGP since 1999 but as always, Julie, I like to bring up things as an excuse to talk about other things. So uh, there was footage of Bottas flipping off Pierre Gasly and Antonio Giovinazzi last week in the Styrian Grand Prix. And who can't relate to flipping off someone in traffic? Let's face it. Um, Been there, done that many, many a time. <laughs> and then in the MotoGP, unfortunately, Fabio's win was kind of overshadowed by a bit of a scary Mark Marquez crash where he broke his wrist by oh, the looks of it. So yeah, that. so that was a bit of a dodgy one, that one. Okay. So we'll finish off the mini wrap-up with golf news. So John Ram became the first Spaniard since the late Seve Ballesteros 31 years ago to become the world number one after winning the US PGA Memorial Tournament. He overtook Rory McIlroy to take number one, but he had a mini meltdown on the back nine of the final round, and after chipping in on the 16th hole for what looked like a birdie, was actually penalised two shots after it was noticed that his ball moved after he addressed it. He, he said he didn't actually notice it at the time. It was such a small movement. But, it was uh, fairly small, wasn't it? It was, but it goes to show how keen-eyed the supporters at home are. This no, is indeed. things that are happening all the time now in golf, so very interesting. About time we bring up golf as well, huh? Yeah. Look, week it's only, seven. It's only been seven weeks. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about more in the future. Footy code, Shuey. Big news in soccer world. Yeah, so to start things off, Leeds United and West Bromwich Albion are back in the English Premier League. 
I wanted to focus a little bit more on Leeds, though. Oh, how could we not? So for Leeds, it's the first time they've been up in the Premier League in 16 years, and it kind of brings back really great memories of the Mark Viduka and Harry Kuehl days. Yeah, I've got some stats on there, Shuey. So Kuehl actually played there from juniors in 95, and then he played men's up to the year 2003. He had 45 goals in 180 games, and Mark Viduka had 59 goals in 130 games. So they both had very good long careers there at Leeds, which is why a lot of Aussies are fans of them. Yeah, I, I was thinking that. That's probably the reason. I mean, I know I was quite keen following them back in the 90s because of that. And I can say now that they're my EPL team because my girlfriend and her family or her old man follows them. So uh, actually from the region. So. As, as good a reason as any, definitely. Indeed, yes. Oh, and a quick congratulations to both Chelsea and Arsenal for reaching the FA Cup final, knocking out both Manchester teams in one weekend. It's a pretty uh, mean feat from them. Yes, doesn't happen every weekend. Mm. So Washington Redskins update, have you got one? Yeah, just a quick one here, Shuey. Uh, so as we discussed last week, they will definitely be changing their name from the Redskins due to racial sensitivities. Interestingly, the Navajo Nation president, Jonathan Nez, initially wrote in a statement that they were very happy that they were changing the name. And he actually suggested changing it to the Code Talkers, the Washington Code Talkers, what? in respect of their involvement in World War II, using their language to create codes. Oh, Which wow. is interesting. However... There was a bit of backlash and people said, well, hold on, isn't that kind of still making a caricature of an entire nation of people, even if it is that nation of those people that are making the suggestion? They've backtracked on that one. So the name is still very much up in the air. But as uh, scandal continues, so Dan Snyder has had to address issues of major sexual harassment and just poor treatment of women and misogyny within the ranks. So there'll be more to come out of that, I'm sure. So we can maybe talk about that in more detail in the future. But they've certainly had their fair share of scandals in that realm, the Redskins. There was a story maybe five, ten years ago, I can't remember, uh, where the cheerleaders were kind of asked to pose topless and do all sorts of things that they weren't all that happy about doing and kind of felt pushed into it. So mm, Probably not on the job description, though. No, no. So the Redskins very much on the nose mm, still. Very much so. So I guess now we move on to something we were supposed to talk about last week but had to uh, sort of cut out. The VFL actually announced last week that they would not be commencing their season. So as well as having already the NEFL postponed indefinitely, This has got major ramifications for a lot of players currently trying to make their way back into AFL sides. Yeah, and the draft as well, mate. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, so that's huge. I suppose the good news is that the waffle started last weekend over here, and the sandfall's been going since the 27th of June with no issues, although there is talk that COVID is starting to make its way into South Australia, so this could potentially be shut down before we know it. Assuming it's not... Do you think that we might see more players drafted from the Western Leagues, if you can include Adelaide, the Central and Western Leagues, than the Victorian, maybe? It would make sense, and I would include Adelaide as the, as the West, because if you look at the old NBL All-Star, when we used to have the East and West, <laughs> it was always the Wildcats and, and the 36ers. So, <laughs> had uh, North and South one year, they, they, they had a lot of iterations. They really, yeah, they really did. <laughs> the Boomers versus uh, Imports. But no, look, I think you're right. I think you'll probably see a lot of these players from the Waffle and the, the Sandful getting drafted just purely because there's a lot more exposure out there. Teams will probably still take their punts on the Victorian players and the, the New South Wales players just purely because there's probably still a lot of data coming through from previous years. But yeah, it, you'd have to think these players that have had game time behind them are probably slightly more of a sure thing, I guess, so to speak. And the mighty uh, Claremont Tigers had a win, an upset win over Subiaco in oh, round wow. one. Subi's only dropped two games in three seasons. Jeez, I, this so is, that's huge. This is maybe what I should have put down for what I missed. I didn't actually get a chance to even look at the scores for this. Yeah, no, it was a close one. I would have liked to have seen a bit mm. of it, actually. Oh, but, good um, on. Yeah, so the waffle started with a bang. 
yeah. while others are not starting at all. No. So we got too excited last week. Uh, we moved to the AFL before we talked about the state leagues. There's a lot to be excited about, perhaps to be worried about. There's a lot to ponder about the AFL in the upcoming weeks, Chewie. Yeah, this is a, a really interesting thing coming through. They've announced the 19 days of footy. It's kind of like a, an upgrade on the 12 days of Christmas, really. So, so yeah, this is really super exciting and terrifying all at once. Kind of like how I imagine nude skydiving would be. So at this stage, it's starting on the 29th of July. We're going to have footy on every night for almost three weeks. And it begs the question, we're already seeing such a horrible run of injuries, most of them soft tissue. Does making the schedule even more compact and potentially having more five-day and even four-day breaks, like, does this honestly just become a survival of the fittest? Almost certainly. Yep, whoever avoids the injuries might just win it all. Almost certainly. Obviously, the Hawks rested Sean Burgoyne last week. My Swans are ahead of the curve. They knew the injuries were coming, so they thought they'd, you know, start nice and early in the season. Just resting everyone. But, I mean, Geelong have some major injury problems already. Collingwood have some injury... There's a lot of teams that do already have some injury problems. True. So it's only going to get worse, probably. So I think you're right. I mean, I mean, so much about sport is being in the right form come finals time anyway. It doesn't really matter where you're... It does matter a bit where you are on the ladder, and it can matter a lot. But form is really important heading into finals. I think health would probably never be more important heading into finals than this season. Yep. What do you reckon about... Obviously, it's nice as a viewer to have all these games, especially when there's some sports not back yet. What do you think about these games potentially coming back forever? So maybe the Thursday night game, the Monday night game. Can we see them creeping into the schedule once things go back to normal, inverted commas? I don't mind them. I mean, Tuesday, Wednesday, forget about it. Those You just don't touch those. But I don't mind a, you know, a single game on a Thursday and a single game on a Monday. I mean, as soon as you start seeing footy on the TV, you start getting that feeling. It's, oh, the weekend's here, the weekend's here. So it can almost drag you through some of those really average weeks as well. You know, and the Monday night one just kind of kind of keeps the weekend going a little bit longer. So I don't mind the idea. It's quite an interesting idea. Obviously, the NFL. Yeah, it. I was going to say, it kind of follows the NFL model. But that's actually why I'm a bit reluctant about it. So I don't mind one of the two, Thursday or Monday. I definitely wouldn't have both. Mm-hmm. Since the NFL brought in the Thursday night game, the standard has dropped. There's been more injuries. Blokes have a shorter turnaround. So I'm actually a bit of a traditionalist. I'd, okay. I'd be okay if it was Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then we might see a better brand of footy and we might see less injuries. I can maybe allow a Thursday or a Monday, but I wouldn't have both. I mean, maybe they're looking at it from a viewing point that I guess you have a couple of those times where on a Saturday or a Sunday, they might have two games going concurrently. And the idea is if you push one of those to a Thursday or a Monday, everyone can watch as many games yeah. as possible. Oh, and I, can, sure. I completely understand that, but we've talked previously about the Big Bash killing the goose that laid the golden egg. If you stretch it too thin and a lot of blokes get injured and the standard drops even more, and there's already been a lot of talk about the standard, then we could have problems. So I think the AFL really needs to think very carefully in the future. But obviously we're in a very unique situation and this has to be done at the moment. Who's been talking about the standards? Uh, everyone. <laughs> Bueller. Sorry. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, now, Stewie, this, is, uh, this gives me an opportunity to bring in something new this week. We actually have our first mailbag for, hey. the, for the podcast. There we go. Obviously, we're on Twitter, we're on email, so sportblokes at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at sportblokes. Send us a question if you like. Our first question comes from Matt, who's an Aussie stuck in Spain, and our hearts certainly do go out to everyone over there because it's pretty tough over there at the moment. So, you know, we're very lucky here in Perth, but our hearts do go out to all those affected, especially closer to home as well with Melbourne and Sydney struggling as well. But anyway, I'll actually get to the question. Hi, Nathan Shu. 
What do you two think will be the impact in the AFL in the coming weeks with the six-week situation in Victoria? I personally think it's about time the Victorians were disadvantaged. Well, now, obviously... <laughs> this... That's a great question. <laughs> Sorry, I should reflect on that. Now, this is, this is a bit... Uh, it's, it's, things have changed since then. So it was six-week lockdown. It's even worse now. Mm. The AFL will not be returning to the Victorian state for the rest of the regular season. There's still a chance the grand final will be played there. But yes, what do we think, Stewie? Well, for starters, I don't think the AFL grand final will be played in Victoria this year. I, I think Queensland are probably the rightful front runners for this, considering what they have done for the AFL throughout the first sort of few weeks, I guess, of, of what was going on. No arguments here. And they've also talked about potentially moving it to the 17th of October, which is the bloody date I've organised our 20-year high school reunion for. So that's not particularly great. But getting to the, the question... <laughs> yeah, getting to the question. It's, it's a really good question. Can I say something about the grand final? Yeah, go for it. It's funny you mentioned the grand final. I completely agree that Brisbane should be the front runners. So far, the AFL have said the MCG has a contract, so they're number one on the list. I would put Brisbane number two, but apparently ANZ Stadium in Sydney is also on the list as well. Now, we know the cases are getting a little bit more out of control there too. But there's been all this talk over here in WA, and Seven West Media are really pumping it hard, Channel 7 and the West Australian. They're ragging on the Queenslanders. They're, it's just, you know, real tabloid stuff. It's a smears campaign, basically. Well, and I just think they're just living in delusion. As I say, I think we're probably tied fourth with South Australia. To quote Behind the, the MCG, Sydney and Brisbane. Yeah, look, to, to quote the theme song from the great Vince McMahon, no chance! <laughs> no, nah, look, it's not happening. It will not come to Perth. As much as we would love to have it, we have all the facilities available. We'll probably have one of the lowest infection rates in Australia. It's just not going to happen, unfortunately. It's, yeah, too much politics and too much red tape, I guess. Oh, I think it could happen, but I think that there's a lot of locals that are getting way too excited mm. way too soon and they need to call their jets. And I think, as I say, Seven West Media is probably pumping that one a bit too yeah. hard. All right, so let's let's unpack, I suppose, a couple of things regarding these. And the impact is it's not all negative. I mean, if you look at some of the positives... A lot of these players haven't had a chance to play in front of crowds for a long time, since round one, basically. So for a lot of these guys, getting to play in front of crowds is great. A lot of them were making the comments that it was nice to play in front of a real crowd, not have this fake noise, hear the chance of you know people crying out ball or crying for their teams. There's a lot of those great things in terms of the positives. Look, it's a taste of life for WA teams that Victoria and New South Wales can actually get a bit of. I mean... Well, didn't Richmond play like eight games on the trot in Victoria last season? Uh, they played their last seven, seven. And, and nine of their last ten, if you include the finals yeah, as well. So there you they go. went up to Brisbane to play the, their first final and then played the last two at the MCG. So I don't think there's a lot of interstaters that are too upset for the Victorians. No, no. And I mean, obviously, Collingwood have their reputation of very rarely leaving Victoria. They have a little bit more in recent times. But yeah, it, it's nice for these guys to actually get an understanding of what we go through with the travel. so I saw the pre-match between, and I wish I could remember who the player was, but I think it was a Freo player before the derby. And they asked him the best and the worst of hub life. And the best was bonding with your teammates. And the worst was bonding being your around teammates. your teammates yeah, too long. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, that was Jira that, that came up with Was that? that? Okay, yeah. yeah. But uh, no, it, there's, a, there's a few other things. And I guess this is potentially a segue into the next thing we were going to talk about though. You can already see the impact on some of the players not wanting to be there. So... One of them was Jack Rewalt. They were doing an interview with him in his hotel room and he, he made the point that he was wondering, what am I actually doing here? Woe is me, that sort of thing, which you can understand again. It's not easy being away from family and friends for that long. But we also saw Gary Ablett. You know, he's unfortunately got a child with a, a rare degenerative condition and 
he was very, very quick to get on a plane back to Victoria and be with his family. Which well, that puts everything at. in perspective, doesn't it? It, you know? it does. You're seeing that, you saw that photo with him holding his child. It's footy's inconsequential, it is. you know, and when it, you think of those things. And as somebody with two young children myself, of course. Yeah, you would you would jump in front of a speeding train for them. There's literally nothing in this world that is more important than the well-being of your of your kids. So, it, it certainly tugs on the heartstrings, and it's not just Gary that has them. Obviously, his situation is a little bit more extreme, I guess, considering what a child has. But obviously, these people that have younger kids are very quickly going to get homesick, and the impact is that a lot of these teams it's either going to galvanise them or it's going to break them. Mm. And you're going to see two very, very big extremes here. So, And I think we'll see a lot of young kids get blooded maybe earlier than usual. It certainly happened with the Swans. But I think a lot of teams will have to blood guys. And hey, maybe that's not a bad thing in the long term. True. Well, we're already starting to see it with teams like the Western Bulldogs where they're getting a lot of these guys in at 20, 21, 22 that are really stepping up to the plate. They're fearless. They've got a lot less going on in their heads so I think that's a really good point the Gold Coast as well yeah exactly so I mean it's not even so much about the Victorians being disadvantaged it's it's just a case of them getting a a, I suppose a a different kind of reality and it it will it'll be really really great to see and and I guess you know we spoke a little bit in previous weeks about the the asterisks and you were saying something to me off camera about the asterisks is there a camera Stewie I'll never tell where it is (laughs) um yeah, well, that's right. So we've talked about the just the fact that it exists and kind of maybe even thinking about different types of asterisk seasons. But what we haven't really talked about is how big the asterisk will be for the teams. So a team like Brisbane, if they win it, I think most people will go, well, you know what, we're not all that surprised. The asterisk is pretty big. You played a hell of a lot of games at home. If a team like Collingwood or, hey, even the Dogs, let's say the Dogs come from nowhere, relative nowhere, then the asterisk is probably quite small and maybe people will say it was actually a huge win and it was maybe even... A negative asterisk. Maybe even their best premiership. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, it's a good good point. So I guess, yeah, the the Brisbane ones are a really good point. I mean, I don't know what the stats are in terms of... Have they even left Queensland yet? I don't know. They they actually played in Sydney on the weekend and they had a win. Yeah, but they've played a lot and and with everything kind of moving or nearly everything moving to Queensland, they're going to be based there for pretty much the rest of the season. Yeah, they're going to be a hub. They'll be going between there and Metricon, I think, for pretty much the the rest of the season. Basically, most likely. So, yeah, look, there's a huge opportunity for Brisbane and obviously they've got a great team this year. They're playing pretty decent football almost every second week anyway. So it, it will be very interesting to see how a team like Brisbane goes, a team like GWS potentially, if, if they do get to go back to Sydney or if Sydney can sort of hold off the, the cases. So yeah, we will very, very soon see what sort of impact it has. But I think you make a good point. If a Victorian team can win it, then certainly it'll probably stop a lot of the bitching from WA about all of that because they can say, well, we did it. It's interesting, like, the Victorians could push back and say, well, we purposely chose to play for, or maybe not Victorians, but people playing for Victorian clubs could push back and say, well, I actually intentionally chose to play for, I don't know, for argument's sake, the Melbourne Demons, because I wanted to be in Melbourne and I wanted to travel less, so I am disadvantaged. So people might make decisions that way too, but there's not a lot of people outside of Victoria feeling too sorry for them no. and it's probably only going to be one season maybe two but you'd think one I think the table is really set for it to be the first all interstate grand final since the Swans and Eagles in 06 
Mm, and that was an absolute cracker. Well, and the one in 05 was pretty damn good too. Shit. I would say maybe a little better. <laughs> nah, they, look, it's, it's, well, it's been well documented that the sequel was better than the original. So. <laughs> Never. So, Stewie, we mentioned Gary Ablett. He's gone home for good reason. There's some people completely taking the personal element out of it, uh, gutted that it's possibly his last season and they won't get to see him play as many games. He has actually said he intends to come back at the back end of the season, so he does intend to keep playing. My understanding is that Geelong want him to play on next season. I don't think there's been any official announcements, so I guess time will tell on that one. I suppose just one other thing I did want to quickly talk about, something that came out, I believe it was just today actually, and there have been some details released about the league trying to fit nine rounds into six weeks, including yeah. four games in Hobart, the Dreamtime game between Essendon and Richmond Up being north. played in Darwin. Yep. The fixtures will probably be released tomorrow, I would suggest, um, and they're going to keep rounds 17 and 18 the same to give teams a fairly normal lead-up to the finals. It'll need the players' approval. That's the really interesting thing. So the AFL Players Association was previously given the go-ahead for five-day turnarounds, but because that's outside of the collective bargaining agreement, for the league to now ask for four-day turnarounds, the players will again have to sign off on that. And the players have made it clear that they, they're happy to do that, but they want the contract freeze listed. So I don't know if you've heard about the contract freeze, but it basically is just saying that no new deals could be signed since March. So Well, the players are taking on the risk here, aren't they? Yep. They bear the burden of the risk, so they should get something back for their, again... We'll talk about injuries in a sec. Yeah, true. It's going to open up. There could be some season-ending injuries still to come. So the blokes, you know, really are taking on most of the risk here. Mm, they really are. Speaking of injuries, should we get go there, should we? Yeah, we should. So, uh, yeah, Collingwood Geelong to start things off. I mean, Joel Selwood had a pretty nasty hamstring early on chasing a ball after the whistle had been blown as well, which probably hurts even more for Geelong fans. Local boy Jordan Clark. I say local boy because it was being played at Optus Stadium. Jordan Clark had a shoulder injury after a real nothingy contest near the boundary. Just real innocuous sort of thing. So he came out in a sling. And then Jordan Degoe had damaged ligaments in his finger. So he's needing surgery that will keep him out for five weeks. about five or six weeks. It could be up to two months. So we'll, we'll certainly see how that goes. That's and a, he finally played himself back into form. Uh, yep, exactly. And then a, a huge injury for, for Collingwood. Although it's got to be said, we won't go too far into this. But given his legal problems, some are saying he shouldn't be playing anyway. So True. Essendon Bulldogs game, there was nothing. GWS Brisbane, nothing. Surprisingly, very little from the Sydney Gold Coast game as well. You had Colin O'Reardon, who has a hip complaint. He so, went pretty early. So he may be okay, but we'll see how that comes up. Cal Sinclair looked like he hurt his ankle as well, but he kept playing. Yeah, so. nothing on the official list no. for that, so hopefully it should be fine. Richmond, North Melbourne. Jack Zebel did a hamstring 15 minutes into his return from a previous hamstring. So oh, it's heartbreaking, isn't it? And then you had Kyron Hayden, who had one of the bravest moments you're going to see, running back about 30 metres with the flight of the ball, straight into Tom Lynch's forearm. Yeah, and you know, it was a bang-bang play. There was nothing uh, ill toward there. No. It was just one of those freak accidents. Absolutely, though. no malice there. So you'd probably expect him to miss next week after that with a concussion. Carlton Port, Ryan Burton, he was really good for Port. He did a quad and Stephen Motlop hobbled off with an ankle injury. He had a really bad ankle injury for Tim O'Brien in the Hawthorne Melbourne game, so he's now in a moon boot and he'll probably be out for a little while. Nothing in the derby, you beauty. <laughs> good for me. And then in the St Kilda Adelaide game that was just finished, Josh Battle would probably have a pretty sore cheekbone after a, a clash with a teammate. But, yes, uh, he may even have a broken cheekbone based on the footage we saw. We didn't see the game, but we saw that little snippet there. Yes. Uh, so we'll do something a bit different this week, Shui. We'll do a bit of a spotlight game. So we'll, we'll spotlight the game. Collingwood 57 defeated Geelong 35 at Optus. And fittingly, Geelong kicked towards the polypharma end oh, of the stadium. I, I didn't uh, know that. In the first game 
between two non-West Australian teams in WA. Brilliant. Uh, look, another magnificent performance from the Pies, highlighted by Jordan Digoy's five goals that we talked about. It shows why he's one of the top handful of X-Factor players in the whole league. If the Pies play with the composure and poise they played with and own the corridor like they did, they cannot and will not be beaten this season. They well, would... they've moved to the top of everyone's favourite list again, oh, haven't they? They would be premiers, guaranteed. I told you they travelled to Perth really well. But on the other hand, for Geelong, another week where the form side of the comp gets rolled, which hopefully continues next week when Collingwood play the Eagles, which will be good. <laughs> catching them at a good time. You'll be catching them and Geelong both at a good time. Fingers crossed, fingers crossed. So, look, Collingwood's defence, I mean, they've got to be the best in the competition easily. They're, they're currently giving up just over 42.5 points a game. Yeah. This is the fifth time in seven games they've allowed 37 or fewer points, and they held Geelong to their lowest score since round 22 of 2001. Braden Maynard, he didn't have huge numbers, but he and Darcy Moore, they just look like all Australian locks. Oh, they? Darcy Moore was fantastic again, mm. wasn't he? Again, I didn't see a hell of a lot, but I heard on the radio and, and I saw some highlight package. He's pretty much a lock for all Australian, I think. Yeah, these guys, they just don't get beaten. Brody Grundy, 46 hitouts. He was magnificent again all, all night. And I know possessions aren't everything, but <clears throat> we've got to talk about Adam Trelaw. He became the first guy in the league with three 30-plus possession games this year, and he's only played three games. Correct. There's only three other guys in the league that have two, and that's Sean Higgins, Lockie Neal, and Andrew Gaff, and one of his was round one against Melbourne in the long quarters. In fact, only 10 guys league-wide have actually had a 30-possession game in shortened quarters. Very good, Trelaw. If he played a few more games, he might be leading the Brownlow. But, uh, it's quite possible. Yeah. The only way that I can see anyone beating Collingwood's defence is what GWS did in round four. If you're bombing inside 50, Maynard, Moore, Roughhead, Chris, they're just going to repel it all day. I think what you have to do is look at running and carrying the ball through the 50 as much as you can. So for us having Collingwood next week, I'll look at guys like Elliot Yo and Luke Shuey to be important, maybe breaking the lines. If Shuey's back. He was very, very close against Freo, so you'd have to imagine he would be. But you just can't let Collingwood settle in and take these intercept marks and spoils. So I think that's honestly the only way that you can beat Collingwood. Yeah, defense. no, I think that's a fair assessment. They're very good at the intercept mark. Mm. Very good. And zero surprise that GWS had the highest score against Collingwood all season. So there you go. And then, Shuey, of course, the other big thing to come out of this game was the streaker. Jesus. The absolute idiocy of this bloke. We're not going to mention the specifics of him, like his name or his background, because quite frankly, he doesn't deserve any more airtime than he's already had. The fact that he's saying he doesn't regret it in the height of a global pandemic when he's lucky to even be allowed in the stadium, it annoys me no end. Yeah, well, and the other funny thing is, technically, the ground was a quarantine area. Mm. So that's why he copped a $50,000 fine. By jumping onto the ground, he entered an area he shouldn't be, not only a playing field, but also a quarantine area. Yep. And he, you know, he put himself and he put other people at risk, because if anyone was asymptomatic and had it, and then he brought that back into the crowd, or back into Perth, yeah. Well, he's already said that he can't pay the fine. No surprise there. So he'll probably end up going on a GoFundMe page or asking for the public to He already pay has. For yeah. Look, I'm going on record as saying anyone who contributes to this dickhead's cause is every bit as stupid and irresponsible as he is. Well, let's face it, though. Who's going to? I mean, people are on JobKeeper, if they have a job at all. Like, people don't have a lot of money to splash around at the moment. Why would they chip in for a streaker's... Honestly, I hope they don't. I mean, I know the old thing, and, you know, we, we have a bit of a laugh about streakers, and we it's, it has made us think of some other occasions, which we'll talk about in a second, but... The old kind of thing was when it was maybe a $1,000 fine, if you were with nine other people, you know, 10 of you, you might chip in 100 bucks each and egg someone on. And I'm not to say we've ever done this, but you hear stories. Some bloke will be egged on and they'll all chip in 100 bucks and then the $1,000 fine's paid. Yep. Maybe if there's 20 of them, it's only 50 bucks each. That was kind of the old mentality. 
But now people get banned for life from stadiums. $50,000 is very steep. Huge. But the other thing that surprised me, he said he only had four middies. This is normally the act of someone who's maybe been drinking all day long or been hitting it pretty hard. Mm. Four middies. So he can't have been that impaired. He said it was his first game he's ever been to. Which, yeah, look, it's just stupidity. I I think we move on from him to stuff that's a little bit more lighthearted. Well, it did make me think of other kind of situations of streakers. The one that kind of pops into my mind most vividly is, is a match that I was at. And I've been to several matches where there's been streakers. But it was an ODI between WA and Queensland. And I think it was actually the ODI final in 97. Now, I don't know that for sure, but I have a feeling it was the ODI final at the Wacker in 97, where some bloke ran on the field and did pretty well to run around without getting caught for quite some time when none other than uh, Andrew Simons or Simo himself absolutely spear-tackled the bloke. And it was it was huge. It was huge. <laughs> Uh, so that one always sticks in my mind. But then he managed to escape and he jumped the fence at the Wacker and got away with a bail, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, wow. So that was really weird. So, like, Simo grabbed him, but then the authorities didn't come and he actually managed to escape, as far as I recall. Granted, it was quite a long time ago now, but that's the one that sticks in my mind. And then the other one was Julia Rose last year at the World Series in baseball, who was conveniently positioned just behind the catcher and started to disrobe knowing when she was on camera. Oh, so that, that should have gone in my what did you miss? <laughs> so it wasn't a streaker per se, but it was certainly someone disrobing and doing mm. what streakers do. I believe you did a little bit of a look as well. Shrek. Yeah, I had a look. I mean, Simo also had that one, uh, the hip and shoulder in one of the ODIs. So he's he's actually had a couple. Has I don't some... recall that, but hey, if there's ever a play you'd send out to tackle oh, a streaker, it's Simo. Yeah. Definitely. Um, a couple of other ones. There was a T20 involving Queensland. Uh, bloke gave a security officer a really, really nice fake, put him on his ass. Um, an ankle breaker, as they call it in, uh, the, in nice, the NBA. Nice. And then I saw one going back to 1977, a match between Australia and New Zealand. Greg Chappell actually grabbed the streaker by the hand and started hitting him on the ass with a bat. <laughs> I have seen that video. Basically just paddling him. So it was. Uh, <laughs> That's uh, a paddling. This, <laughs> that is a paddling. There's some great ones out there. But look, in all seriousness, don't do it. It yeah. is just dumb. We, we reflect on it in the past when things were different but yeah. yeah and and I guess the thing is remember there's a strong likelihood that nobody runs naked through your office while you're trying to focus on your work and if they do well you're just one of the lucky ones I guess aren't you <laughs> uh, alright well should we look at the other games should we the dogs had a comfortable win over Essendon 93-51 on the Friday night yeah, the Bullies respond like all great teams should after getting smashed last week. They put the Bombers to the sword. I think what was more impressive was the fact it was a five-day turnaround. Timmy English, absolutely brilliant again. 22 touches, 7 marks, 4 tackles, 16 hitouts, 6 clearances, best on ground. We keep singing his praises, but for good reason. Yeah, Mick Malthouse actually said he has a bit of a Scott Winder feel to him, so... Potentially uh, another Brownlow medalist for the dogs with any luck. Well, speaking of streaking or getting your tackle out on the field, uh, Scotty Wines once had a piss at three-quarter time on the field. <laughs> Thought he was being surreptitious, but the cameras caught him. Nope. He did not get away with that one. So yeah, McRae, Hunter, Bontempelli, they just dominated the midfield battle with the clearances and they had perfect service into their forwards. Napoleon Dynamite, Wallace kicked three goals. <laughs> Matty Suckling and Cody Waitman had two each. How was Waitman's first kick, first goal banana from the yeah, boundary? Yeah, it was very nice. One of the best you'll ever see. So, very nice. Yeah, Not a lot to say about Essendon. Just a reality check for them, really. And I guess they can get their mojo back against Adelaide next week. The Lions had a 20-point win over the Giants in a rare away match, 88-68, to stay in the winner's circle. Yeah, Toby Green, a late withdrawal for this. It really hurt the Giants. 
and yet another home game slipping by for them. The Lions were fantastic again. Lockie Neal, was, he was heavily tagged by Matt DeBoer, so he, quote, only had 20 possessions, but <laughs> Brisbane won the inside 50s by 22. They were plus 43 in marks. GWS challenged them hard in the third quarter to get it below 10, but Cam Rayner had a really nice steadier late in the third and another early in the fourth, and Brisbane just coasted home. So Stephen Coniglia was great for GWS, but Brisbane were just super balanced, and they just looked like a different team to last week. Suns had a comfortable win, 92-60 over the Swans. The Swans were in it for probably longer than the scoreline suggested, but the Gold Coast ran over the top at the end. Yeah, I thought it was a much better effort from the underman Swans. Gold Coast just too good. Look, another exciting game, as you said before, from Isaac Rankin. Another sensational soccer goal. He's going to get some sort of Socceroo nickname coming out fairly soon. <laughs> uh, I thought Hugh Greenwood was brilliant. 23 touches and 12 tackles. David Swallow, 22 touches and a goal. And geez, Lockie Well is a bit of an underrated player. He's he's bloody good for them. He really is. Just goes quietly about his business. Seven tackles, four clearances, two goals, 15 possessions. So great effort from Luke Parker, 27 touches. And signs of life up front from Tom McCartan and Will Hayward. Did Luke Parker only finish with 27 touches? Only yes, but well, he he had twenty six touches and five marks to three quarter time, so he had a quiet fourth period. Well, just like the Swans did, so yeah, well, kind true, of makes sense. True. But, uh, yeah, Suns and Dogs on Thursday should be an absolute ripper now. Well, I've got to say, uh, the the highlight for me was Will Haywood's snap and then uh, Tom Papley <laughs> literally jumping over <laughs> his head, which is impressive considering how small Papley. Oh, is. it was it was a great goal on the three quarter time siren. It actually gave us a little bit of hope heading into the fourth. But yeah, that jump was you know like Papley hasn't had all our highlights so far already. These are the things when your team is going really shit. You know, it's those yeah. tiny little <laughs> silver linings in a season that you just hold on to. Yeah. You know. This will probably be my memory of 2020. Goal Tom Papley <laughs> jumping over Will Haywood. The, the goal celebration of the year. Pretty much. Yep, yep. Richmond defeated the Kangas 77-23. The Kangaroos kicking two goals 11. Jeez, North are just trash right now. They will definitely keep the Swans off the bottom of the ladder. Don't you worry. Oh, don't forget the Crows. That's true, yeah. So yeah, as you said, two goals for four quarters of work. I mentioned low winning scores last week, but the last time a team won with 23 points was 119 years ago. Their, their disposal is just so far off the mark right now. Their ball going inside 50 is abysmal. Ben Brown has no confidence right now because of how little the ball he's getting. To outline this, I actually had a look at his goal-kicking figures since he joined the league. So, get this, since 2014. 18 goals, 9. 32 goals, 17. 41, 18. 63, 30. 61, 24. And 64, 33. So, all between 65 and 72%. And his last three seasons have had people salivating over him as potentially being the best forward in the game. Yeah, me, me included. He's got seven goals, eight so far this season. So he's averaging one goal a game. He's actually So not even to... making the most of the limited supply, are they? No, exactly. So, I mean, he missed one. He would usually kick 99 times out of 100 from about 20 out. He's actually out of contract at the end of the year. What do you reckon the chances are that he leaves North? Well, and what do you reckon the chances are that maybe the price tag's gone down a little bit, oh, uh, you know, definitely. with a poor return as well? Definitely. Yeah, that's one to keep an eye on. That'll be interesting. Mm. For Richmond, usual suspects. I actually like the look, though, of Jake Arts, and I don't know how you pronounce it. Mabor Chol, I believe is how you pronounce it. Chipped him with a couple of goals each. And Derek Egmoles Smith, one of the best names in the league, 23 touches. GWS on Friday, another cracker. Robbie Gray kicked a goal after the siren in the Port 64 defeat of the Blues 61. Well and truly the great escape for, for Port Adelaide. Jeez, they tried to throw this one away, but Robbie Gray, you superstar. 
45 metres out, right in the pocket after the siren to win the game. Every kid's dream. Such a difficult kick with no option to run around as well. But geez, did he ever stick that right into the heart of the goals and every Carlton supporter out there? And this was just a great high-tempo, high-risk game. Lots of great highlights. It could not have been further from Damien Hardwick's comments last week about the horrendous game between the Tigers and the Swans. Charlie By Fox- the way, I'm glad that most people were against him on that one. Most people mm. agreed with me that he was kind of breaking ranks in the coaches' oh, fraternity. Well and, and, truly. and uh, Longmire actually came back and said, well, actually, it was game plan and tactics, and you guys do this, and we did this to counteract it. And Anyway, sorry. And, and you're a dick. So. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm off him, as yeah. I said. But look, Charlie Dixon back into beast mode, and had he not taken a knock late, he might have won it for Port earlier. He was just honestly marking everything that came inside 50. Really cool stat out of this game, though. Eddie Betts became just the third player to kick 300 goals with two different teams. Who are the other two, Nath? Well, first of all, of course, the great plugger, Tony Lockett. Yes. He would just about have 600 with two different teams. Pretty close, actually. That would be interesting. Hmm. I'll stay on that train of thought. Barry Hall? No, not not Barry. Not Barry. Buddy then, Lance Franklin. Yes, ah. it was Lance Franklin. So yeah. It's that a, is a great stat though. It's a great stat. So now he's got 310 with Adelaide and 300 on the dot with Carlton. Very nice. Now, can we just go back to Port's goal kicking for a second? They're trailing by less than a kick in the fourth quarter. Charlie Dixon hits the post from about 20 metres out straight in front. Robbie Gray missed an easy one. I think he was about 30 out, no angle. And even worse, Todd Marshall snaps one from the point of the goal square and misses. You could actually argue Port probably actually did deserve the win, but it brings me to oh, your bugbear, competition Joey. goal kicking. So, with seven rounds complete, the leaders for the Coleman are Tom Papley and Charlie Dixon on 15. Now, if you extrapolate that across the 17 games and even for 20-minute quarters, it puts the leaders on track for 46 goals, which would be the first time a Coleman winner wouldn't have kicked 50 goals since 1919. Wow, again. That is nine years before John Coleman himself was actually born. <laughs> Even if you assume the winners played all 22, and with Papley playing for Sydney, the likelihood of that's pretty slim, it would actually have them on track for less than 59 goals, 17 short of last year's mark set by Jeremy Cameron. So Jonathan Brown actually made a really good point about the groups not getting to train together, meaning the mids aren't really practicing delivering to their forwards. Maybe they're just a bit rusty. Do you think that's maybe the case? I think it's two-pronged. I think, in one hand, I think that's absolutely right, and we've talked about that a little bit. But I also think the standards have dropped. I think it's a part of the game that's not as good as it once was, and it's something that needs real improvement. Words out of Hawthorne that Clarko is safe, according to Jeff Kennett, in spite of a 91-48 defeat at the hands of the Melbourne Demons. Yeah, I wish I could say I felt sorry for Hawthorne, but I, I just don't. <laughs> I really don't. The Demons smashed him on inside 50s, Mark's inside 50, Max Gorn killed Ben McAvoy in the ruck. Hawthorne just don't look capable of kicking a winning score right now, while the Demons actually starting to get back to that 2018 form. Christian Petrarca was magnificent again, 29 touches and a massive 14 score involvements. To put that into perspective, Jeremy Cameron led the league in them last year with an average of 7.75 a wow. game. So, yeah, Med- Melbourne's midfield just killed Hawthorne. Uh, the Demons are up to 12th with a game in hand, so they're sort of making their way back, but they've got Brisbane at Metricon next week, which is going to be a tall order. The Eagles won the 51st Derby and their 10th in a row in a 62-32 defeat of the Dockers back here in Perth. A record 10th straight Derby for the Eagles, something that actually crept up on me a little bit. The big talking point for me was a rejuvenated-looking Josh Kennedy. Four goals, four in his 250th match. He looked really menacing up forward. Winning the Glenn Denning medal? He did, yep. So the game was still in balance a little bit at halftime, but the first ever scoreless quarter in a Western Derby did Frio in. 
the defense for the Eagles still looks a little bit shaky at times. Rory Lobb and Matt Tabner look dangerous as well, but they unfortunately for Fremantle missed some easy ones. As you mentioned before, I love this Michael Frederick. He looks fantastic. He really, really has great pace. Looks like he's ready to take the game on. But it just really looks like Frio goes nat five goes, don't you reckon? There's a lot of truth to that. And obviously, there's some big defenders out. Hamling, even Logues looks really good so far this season. So, yeah, they've got some holes in their defense. Mm. And then finally in our game tonight, the Saints beat the Crows in Adelaide 78-55. to yeah, this one's just finished, so we haven't really had a chance to watch it yet. But from all reports, St Kilda nearly let a big lead slip away again. Oh. Mm, so we'll have to watch that. And now, this week in sport history. On the 16th of July, 1895, Lancashire batsman Archie McLaren scored the first ever quadruple hundred. He scored a 424 in a first-class cricket game, Somerset at Taunton. He was one of the first batsmen to go with a real high backlift regardless of the shot he was playing and his innings was only 470 minutes long with 62 fours and only one six. Lancashire were bowled out for 801 and won by an innings and 452 runs. Inside of four days, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> Ooh, dear. Oh dear. So on the 16th of July 1950, anywhere between 200 and 205,000 attend the World Cup soccer final between Brazil and Uruguay at the Maracana in Rio. Uruguay cause a massive upset beating the home side 2-1 in what is arguably the darkest day in Brazilian football. On the 17th of July 1990, New York Yankee Neon Dion Sanders hits an inside-the-park homer and went on later that season to become the only athlete to ever register a Major League Baseball home run and an NFL touchdown in the same year. He's the only man to play in a Super Bowl and a World Series, and this gets even crazier because in the Inside the Park home run play, who was fielding none other than Bo Jackson himself, a two-sport player who also played in the NFL and Major League Baseball, and was an all-star in the MLB and an all-pro in the NFL, which is just another name for all-star. So that's a crazy one and uh, definitely something we might look at in the future as two-sport players. Mm, we could do that. On the 17th of July 2018, Australian basketball centre Liz Cambage scored 53 points as the Dallas Wings beat the New York Liberty 104-87 to set the new WNBA single-game scoring record. She also pulled down 10 rebounds and had 5 blocks and did it on 17 of 22 from the field, 4 of 5 from 3 and 15 of 16 from the line. That's efficiency. What made this even better though was her calling out all the haters who said she couldn't put up big numbers in America after the game. Not to mention Andrew Bogut, who's, uh, you know, they've had a bit of war of words over the years. They have, they have. And finally, on the 18th of July, 1976, Nadia Comaneci became the first gymnast in Olympic game history to score a perfect 10 while representing her native Romania at the Montreal Games. This week in sport history. Well, the second test in the cricket, Stewie, we probably should give that a bit of a discussion. But before that one kicked off, Jofra Archer was suspended. Mm, so after the first test, the, the silly bugger Archer stopped in at his flat in Hove. It's about 90 minutes east of Southampton where the first test was played on their way up to Manchester. Was he trying to feed a dog or something? Uh, I didn't actually read what it was. I think it was something as oh, innocuous as that, yeah. Just call your neighbour, Yes. Yeah. <laughs> The players have actually all been given instructions not to stop anywhere except for pre-approved rest stops. So once again, a player that just thinks that these rules don't apply to him. And the result is him putting his team in danger of losing a series. So, Yes, well, that's an interesting one. I, I actually applaud England. We've seen a lot of slaps on the wrist and pretty weak penalties for players. He's obviously the spearhead of their attack or one of the spearheads of their attack. It would have been very easy for them to just give him a fine. 
So my hat's off to the England team for making him miss a game. So he's now required to isolate for five days and return two negative tests. I think the first one's already come back negative, so he's nearly back. He may well be able to return to the team for the third test. I heard he's been training on his own with like six balls and he bowls them all down and then he goes and collects all six and runs back to his mark and bowls oh, another six. Goodness me. Yeah. It's like it's like Millhouse doing the, the seesaw <laughs> and throwing the frisbee to himself and then going and getting it. Uh, but actually in some match action, so England had a much better first innings this time. In fact, they've only actually lost 12 wickets for the entire match. So they declared their first innings at 469, only nine down. Then they had 129 in their second dig. The Windies in their first dig had a 287. And as we speak, an exact score at time of recording, obviously it'll be over by the time you hear this, the Windies are 4 for 122, needing 190 with 46 overs remaining. There's still a chance. I mean, yeah, J- it's J- interesting. Jason Holder's still in the shed, so you just never know. Speaking of Holder, how's this for a stat, Stewie? So we talked about him being in the all, all-rounder rankings. He's top of the rankings, a nose ahead of Stokes. In the last two years, Jason Holder has had a better average with the bat than Joe Root and a better average with the ball than Jimmy Anderson. Wow. That is, jeez, that is almost startling, really. And hey, who knows? He could be the hero in this match. Time will tell. He could well be. I suppose what we've got to talk about a little bit is the the changes, though, for this this match. So, obviously, Joe Root came back into the side after his wife, Carrie, gave birth to their second child, and their pace attack completely changed. Normally happens after a Root. (laughs) Well played. Sorry. Well played. It actually normally doesn't. No, well, not necessarily, but... Look, Sammy Curran came in for Jimmy Anderson. Chris Wokes came in for Joffrey Archer, as we mentioned. And Mark Wood was rightly replaced by Stuart Broad. For Broad... Leonardo, you mean? Yes, for, for Leonardo, that's true. <laughs> Do you know that was the first test on home soil that he has missed since 2012? Wow, and not through injury. Not through injury. I don't understand it. I actually read online that Mark Wood averages 44.9 with the ball in England. Wow. Do you want to know three guys with better bowling averages on English soil? Sure. Joe Root... Steve Smith Yep Kane Williamson Wow So yeah He only took two wickets For 110 in the first test And one of them was Shannon Gabriel Who's their number 11 So It's also put the Windies In a very interesting position That they're not usually in They haven't won an away series Against anyone other than Zimbabwe or Bangladesh Since 92-93 I have a stat as well Stewie England haven't won a test series Of three games When trailing 1-0 Since 1888 I actually had that shortlisted last week, and I second-guessed myself. I thought, that can't be right, surely. But we did our research, and sure enough, in three-game series, they've never won after trailing 1-0. Well, I suppose there's probably not that many of them, so... Well, I mean, the Ashes are five. Everything else would probably be a three, So, or a lot of others would be a three. True. So, yeah. No, there's, there's a lot of fascinating stats out of here. Honestly, for me, this whole test really just comes down to the 260-run fourth-wicket partnership between Dom Sibley and Ben Stokes in the first innings. It was a really weird partnership. It just seemed like every time a boundary was scored off a good shot, it was then followed by a boundary from an edge that maybe flew between slips and gully. There were three different times when an LBW was reviewed and ended up as umpire's decision. They just rode their luck amazingly here. A lot of the partnership actually came down to a simple drop catch at second slip by Jason Holder, though, when Sibley was only on 68. Can I tell you my favourite Sibley thing? Go for it. I saw a headline. The top headline on Quick Info last night was... Ball disinfected after Sibley's saliva error. <laughs> yeah, this is a, this is very. What a headline! What a, it's, this is twenty twenty. This is twenty twenty. No, but interestingly, all they did to disinfect it was use a wipe. 
And I know Red that they're showing leniency initially, but two indiscretions like that, and the team gets docked five runs. Like, <laughs> that's an interesting one, isn't it? It's not a suitable punishment, surely. I, I, so as far as indiscretions are concerned, I'll forgive a bloke for something like this because they're so trained to work on the ball. And so I, I don't mind too much that a guy would naturally want to shine up a side of the ball. But five runs isn't a huge... That's really not. Yeah. You actually get more than that for a slow overrate. Or hitting the helmet behind the wiki. Or, yeah, that's, well, exactly. It's the same. So, no, it was just... It was, it was interesting, though. After that, the partnership was worth another 177. And instead of bringing in a lower middle order player like a Joss Butler, who's struggling at four for 164, they go on and obviously dominate from there. And it just allowed Ben Stokes to really open his shoulders up and take some chances instead of England potentially being bowled out for less than 300. So Speaking of Butler, his woes continued. They sent him out to bat in the second dig to try and score some quick runs mm. before a declaration. Zero off three, bowled by Kemar Roach. He was at a hiding to nothing, unfortunately, after... I mean, he made 40 in the first inning, so you never know. Yeah. He, he had to go out and slog. I am not, I'm not convinced he's their number one test keeper. No, he's, he's not. Yeah. He's not, but... Oh, and I found out the trophy's just called the Wisdom Trophy. Boring. Yeah, no, I like your names better. So boring. And now, what made Stu say, bloody hell? Well, I honestly never thought that when I started doing this segment, I would ever mention Family Feud. But we <laughs> saw an absolutely hilarious moment in a recent episode involving NFL legends versus rising stars. So Bruce Smith, who I will mention is a Hall of Famer, an 11-time Pro Bowl player, the NFL's all-time leader in sacks. He was playing the fast money round at the end of the game. The question given to him was, if Captain Hook was moonlighting as a handyman, he might replace his hook with what tool? A hammer? Well, funny you say that. Going second, Smith answered hammer, which had already been set. So the bit bit yep. comes out. Yep. So with a ton of other options, you know, you could go screwdriver, you could go wrench, whatever you want to be. He stutters for a bit and decides to go with <laughs> penis. <laughs> Where does so, this come from, honestly? So, Survey says, bip Oh, wow. Steve Harvey made it even better by starting another question before turning to the audience with the line, what the fuck did he say? Yeah, that was great. Steve Harvey initially decided to just just continue, and then he was like, no, No. I'm not wasting this opportunity. No. It was, honestly, it was right up there, almost as bad as the time Pedro Martinez answered the question, name a word that rhymes with yummy with Miami. (laughs) Oh, dear. Uh, so, yes, Captain Hook's handyman penis hand gets this week's bloody hell. Bloody hell. Bloody hell. Let's kick off our basketball chat with NBL free agency, Stewie. Yeah, well, there's a lot to talk about here, so I guess we'll just maybe go through them team by team. So Yeah. Um, so the Adelaide 36ers to start off with, former Sydney King Isaac Humphreys is back, so he's sort of created a Twin Towers with DJ, both inside-out threats. Sorry, I should say Daniel Johnson for people who maybe don't know who DJ yes, is. Yes, yes, that's a great signing, though. He has NBA aspirations, played college with a very good Kentucky team, yep. so he that's played, a huge he signing. played with the Atlanta Hawks. He's been yep. in the G League as well. And then they also replaced Harry Froling in the, the front court by signing Keanu Pinder who's the son of Tiny Pinder. Ah, yes, of course. So it gives them some athleticism, some energy. They've got a really stacked front court now. Let's hope he's maybe uh, doesn't have as many problems with the law. Makes better decisions, definitely. So moving on to the Brisbane Bullets, these guys really feel like the early winners of the free agency period. They have made a lot of moves. So they let Cam Glidden walk, which is fair enough. He wasn't really in their plans anyway. After we foreshadowed that last week. Yeah, there's more to do with that as well. But they picked up some big names. So Anthony Drummick left Adelaide to sign a three-year deal. 
That's a very handy pickup. Harry Froling also Yes, left, I saw that today, yes. Joining Anthony Drimmick in moving across. Yep. So with Matty Hodgson, Nathan Sobey, Drimmick and Froling, they may as well call themselves the Brisbane 36ers. Well, of course, his old man, Shane Froling, played for the Brisbane Bullets, though, way that's back true. in the day. So that's I'm sure his old man's happy to see him back in the Sunshine State. True, true. Following on from that, Tanner Krebs, another one we mentioned for Tasmania, joined the, the Brisbane 36ers on a two-year deal, giving them more shooting. Uh, and just today, they signed Tamori Wigness, a lefty point guard who represented Australia at the Under-17 FIBA Oceania Championships. Made the All-Star 5 there. He's got a real hint of Isaiah Thomas to him, the, the Celtics one, not the Pistons one. <laughs> but in that he's undersized, he looks really comfortable, though, taking it into the paint. He's got some really unique release points as well. I don't think undersized is an issue in the NBL. We've seen guys like Jerome Randall have a lot of success. True, and I guess so. Bryce Cotton's pretty well. Yeah, he's, well, he's so. not huge. Yeah. yeah, but he does have a really unusual release point on his jump shots. But it gets you know gets it off pretty quickly. So yeah, the bullets are looking scary. Moving a little bit further north in Queensland, the Cairns Taipans. I think Cairns is frozen at the moment. They they haven't done anything. Uh, moving on to the Hawks, they've stayed fairly well pat so far. They've re-signed Emmett Nah for two years, which I, I think is a a good move. He's looking. Pretty decent. It looked a lot better this year. Um, they picked up Deng Deng from Sydney. He's super bouncy, that guy. Oh, that's a great pickup. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, he also knows Brian Gorgian really well. He played under his brother Kevin at Box Hill. So, ah. um, and at 28, we could see a big leap from him this year. And not, not just a... Well, I was going to say, probably every game. Yeah, yeah this is true. Um, Melbourne United, they're another one who actually look like early championship favourites, along with the Bullets. They haven't lost anyone yet. They're presumably going to have to lose either Mellow Trimble or Sean Long because of them cutting down the imports. But Jeez, um, we'd take Sean Long. We would, we would, but they've managed to sign Chris Goulding again for three years. Yes, I saw that. There goes another Hobart player. Yes. But look, as I mentioned before, they're going to have to cut someone to make way for a guy named Jack White from Duke, who has come across, who played with Zion Williamson. He's got really good ups. He goes after rebounds. He gets on the floor. He's that hustle guy every team needs. Uh, And just yesterday, they locked in Japanese national Yudai Baba. So he looks like a really good pickup. He's got experience in the G League with the Texas Legends. From what I've seen, he's a really good finisher around the rim. He can get up, finish in traffic. It's a 41% three-point shooter across 41 games last season. And he's six foot five, so he's got good size to him. Here's a question for you, Stewie. Is it the golden age of Japanese basketball at the moment? Obviously, Hachimura was drafted by the Wizards not so long ago. Well, it seems to be. I mean, I don't know really that there's too many other eras to (laughs) really really compare against. But no, it, it is good to see something coming out of Japan finally. I mean... You know, they've, they've got some skilled players, and it's nice to see some of these bigger players coming out as well. They're not just relying on these sort of pint-sized guys yeah. running between everyone's legs. So really, really good for them. So moving on to New Zealand, the Breakers lost Sek Henry, signed with Pina Karsiaka in Turkey. I honestly wasn't a huge fan of his anyway, but... Uh, he was okay, but he, yeah, you wouldn't cry nah, if it, you lost him. Especially when you consider who they replaced him with, Ty Webster, brother yes. of Corey. Played college ball in Nebraska, stints in Frankfurt and Galatasaray in Turkey. This is a scary backcourt. They also managed to lock in Dan Trist from Southeast Melbourne on a one-year deal, and a guy named Kyron Galloway to a three-year deal. He's long, athletic, super energy. According to Liam Santamaria, he's a project guy who's a year away from being a year away. Okay. So, but no, pretty decent free agency period so far for them. Absolutely, and at risk of revisiting previous discussion, the A League's back. No one really remembers or is talking about it. They're overshadowed by the AFL. Meanwhile, the NBL seems to be on the up and up. I saw the Melbourne United signing was like at the top of news.com.au today. I mean, it's pretty rare that the NBL gets top of news.com.au. So basketball in Australia is in a pretty healthy place. We'll take it. It's great. 
Now, moving on to our team, the Perth Wildcats, there wasn't a whole heap going on here until today. The, the big thing, obviously, was re-signing Bryce Cotton, but our big man stocks obviously took a hit. We mentioned that Nick Kay signed with Real Betis last week, and Reese Vague signed with Kagawa Five Arrows in Japan. I'll trade Reese Vague for Todd Blanchfield any day of the week. Yeah, good little segue in there. So we actually just picked him up from the Hawks today. Gives us a little bit of extra firepower to go with Clint Steindl. He probably should replace Tariko White, who looks unlikely to return. You'd um, have to think that second import spot goes to a big, and Plumlee would be happy with Plumlee. Jeez, if we could get Sean Long, we'd be loving that. Mm. But uh, yeah, you think Tariko, even though he's a finals MVP, one year removed, maybe on borrowed time. Yeah, I think apparently the Cats are looking overseas for a replacement for Nick Kay, so we'll see where they go with that. With Reese Vague, he's he hasn't really lived up to his potential, has he? No. He blocks some shots. He's a tall guy. He's got long arms. Funnily enough, so I uh, at a quiz I used to MC, one of the bartenders there used to coach him in juniors, and he said he was the most frustrating player he's ever coached in his life because he was taller than ninety percent of the blokes on the court, but he always just wanted to pull up and shoot threes. The Steph Curry effect. Yep. Yep. So nice. look, you know, good on him, all power to him, but oh. we're not shedding any tears over his we'll life. We'll take Todd Blanfield. Yeah. Southeast Melbourne Phoenix are next. Not great news for the Phoenix backcourt. Both John Robertson and Ben Madgen leaving the team. So Robertson signed with Estuantes in Spain, and Madgen announced his retirement at 35. He was one of those guys that just felt like he was 45. It seemed like, <laughs> honestly, it seemed like he was with the Kings about 16 years ago. So It does, yeah. And and he he was a bit disappointing last season, it has to be said. So he probably really lost a step and it was probably time for him to call yeah, it a day. definitely. But they were able to sign Cam Glidden to a two-year deal from Brisbane. So they've got a really nice green light guy who hopefully can get back to what he was like with Cairns. We'll see how that goes. And then for the Kings, not amazing so far. They were able to re-sign Xavier Cooks and Sean Bruce, um, as well as Dayan Vasiljevic. He's a sharpshooter who spent four years at the University of Miami. Looks like a, a pretty decent replacement for Kevin Lish. And just today, they signed Angus Glover to a three-year deal from the Hawks as well. So he's a really nice prospect at 21. But losing Lish and Bogut just leaves a big hole in their lineup right now. Yeah, well, they were looking a bit shaky, but they've done well to recover a little. So the Kings maybe won't fall as far as I thought they might do when they did lose those blokes. Hmm. Should we move to the States? We should. First off, an interesting one in the WNBA. So former MVP Elena Deladon was initially told that she couldn't be exempt from playing in the upcoming season due to medical grounds. And then it seems they've done a 180. So a bit of background on this one. Apparently she takes 64 pills every single day for Lyme disease. Oh, it gives me a Simpsons reference. Oh, Miss Hoover? No, not the not the spirochete uh, reference. <laughs> it, it reminds me of the uh, the Duff Gardens episode where the guy who's not a doctor gives Marge a pile of pills for Lisa to take. <laughs> take this and then these and then these. Thank you, doctor. Oh, I'm not a doctor. Exactly. Yeah, so her doctor said that she was at risk. And I'll give you some COVID updates. So the total cases in the US are now up to 3.76 million with 30,000... COVID-related deaths predicted in the US in just the next three weeks alone. Wow. So there are 49 hospitals in Florida that have run out of ICU beds. This is the state where NBA restart happens. Yay. Now, I must admit, I can't remember where if WNBA is in Florida or not. It might be elsewhere. But you can't blame her for not wanting to play when she's got a serious medical condition. So it seems that wiser heads have prevailed and she's actually will get paid for not playing. And, you know, let's think of the equivalent. This would be like if LeBron didn't want to play for medical grounds and they refused to pay his contract. 
Yeah, look, good for her to finally get some good news after all this this rubbish that's going on. It's it's so nice to see them finally looking after a former MVP. And look, she is deemed a high risk regarding the potential impact of coronavirus. So I don't understand why she wasn't given a medical exemption to start with. It just it made no sense. So it, it's it, not a good look. No, it, look, it's a classy move by the Mystics to guarantee her contract and just a huge relief for her as well. So now, as you know, Shui, I love bringing up things so that I can bring up things. Elena Deladon's all-time free throw percentage for her career is 93.36. And in the playoffs, it is an incredible 96% from the line. Now, it's not always easy to compare male and female sports sometimes for various different reasons. But the foul line, you're there on your own. That is one stat you can compare. Mm. And that would be better than any NBA player in history. Yeah, so yeah, for yeah. some comparison, I've got the top three here. Do you want to have a crack or do you want me to rattle oh, them off? I mean, Mark Price would come to mind straight away. Uh, yep, third at 90.3. Third. Okay. Uh, I mean, Steph Curry. Steph Curry's top at 90.5. And then I wonder if it's someone like a Steve Kerr or a Dirk Nowitzki. Uh, Steve, you're on the right track. Oh, Steve Nash. Steve Nash yes. is second place at 90.4. Wow, that's yeah, that is amazing. So thankfully, wiser heads have prevailed there. Quick little NBA update, just a quick one today. We'll talk about it much more next week as we head into the restart. Yeah, the snitch hotline is back in the news. It's it's proven to be a little bit more popular than we thought after all. Well, um, I've heard mixed reports. I've heard the whole spectrum from it's not being used at all to it's ringing off the hook. Mm. So, I, I don't even know what the truth is with this one. Oh, who knows? Look, we've already had three people that have been dobbed in, though. Sacramento Kings board Rashawn Holmes left the bubble to pick up a food delivery. Oh, dear. And now has to isolate for 10 days. You've got Houston Rockets forward Bruno Caboclo left his room during the initial quarantine period. Uh, and Dwight Howard was given a warning for not wearing a mask when he should have. Now, why has everyone been saying that's my guy, Chris Paul? That's what I want to know. <laughs> well, surely he would snitch on someone a little better than that. I mean, I know Holmes is averaging 13 and 8 this year, but surely you'd go after a LeBron or a James Harden. There's plenty of time, surely. There's plenty of time. Yeah, maybe he's saving for the playoffs. I'm not sure. Speaking of which, quick clarification on last week. Apparently, Rajon Rondo might be available for the playoffs. So, uh, Yeah, so it's an update. Yeah, yeah. So, so maybe it's not as bad as we first thought, and apparently he might be back in the back end of the playoffs. But it is his right hand. And we've seen what it's done to Tom Lynch. He's, he doesn't look quite as comfortable going for the ball as he did previously, so... I don't know if this helps the Lakers that much at all. No, that'd be a very, very interesting one to watch. Mm. And then finally, Stewie, Jonathan Kaminga, one of the top prospects, has decided to bypass college and go to the G League instead where he could earn half a million dollars for playing. Yeah, so for people who don't know anything about Jonathan Kaminga, he's a 17-year-old from the Democratic Republic of Congo, currently ranked the fourth highest prospect in high school across all of America. He's super athletic. One of those rare guys who looks just as comfortable as a two-foot jumper as he does a one-foot jumper. He's been compared to Pascal Siakam at the moment. I honestly think he could be a little bit more like a Kevin Durant. Coming out of Texas, Durant was criticized for poor shot selection. It's something Kaminga's getting a lot too. But if he grows a bit, he's currently 6'7 with a 6'11 wingspan. Ah, uh, Jay Billis would like that one. He would love it. Can you imagine him in a front court with that bat? Yeah, what, 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 yeah. what a wingspan that thing yeah, is. Literally. Yeah. literally. <laughs> but no, if he can, I guess, grow a little bit, utilize his leap to settle for less contested threes, maybe get in the lane, develop a nice mid-range game, he could be an absolute superstar. And it's it's interesting you make that point. At 17, making half a million dollars instead of the uncertainty of the college route, they may not play, he might get injured, never make his money. 
Well, Hem- Jay Williams, Stewie, uh, I mentioned him the other week. He had a very shortened career. He did, he did. He was, what, the number two draft pick? Coming yeah, I believe he might have even been number one. He was very high no, pick, number, number two. two. No, number two. What year was he? Yeah, I'm not not sure, but obviously, yeah, he had the, the issue with the motorcycle accident and never played again. You know, heaven forbid we've heard stories of top prospects being in the wrong place at the wrong time and being shot. I think it's a really great choice. The uh, the program that he and other top recruits like Jalen Green, Isaiah Todd, Dacian Nix, Case Soto, they're all going there and they're all going to be coached by Brian Shaw. Mm, an NBA future coach in his own right, most probably. Oh, definitely. I mean, Very he, experienced. He is. He's played with guys like Larry Bird, Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant, Rasheed Wallace. He knows how to manage egos. He's, he's a, been an assistant for the Lakers. I think he was a Phil Jackson assistant in championship he was. years. I think he actually was a head coach with Denver from memory as well. For, yep. for oh, yeah. yep. Really underrated coach. So I think it's going to be good. And on top of that, do you know where the G League select team is based? LA. LA, exactly. So you don't think those guys are going to want the sun, the surf, the chance to hang out with guys like LeBron? Well, Anthony and train Davis. with them in the off-season. Exactly. The, you know, what, the two-week off-season or whatever yeah, it will be? Yeah, whatever it's going to be. Honestly, I think you'll see a lot more guys doing this moving forward. And, well, absolutely. With the college game on hold, college, they're not paid, so they can't make them play under these COVID times. Yep. Surely. I mean, some of them probably want to play, which is fair enough. But... This could be a real sea change. This could be what precipitates many blokes bypassing college and going to the G League. And then, of course, here in Australia, we've got the Next Stars program. We've seen guys like Terence Ferguson, uh, LaMelo Ball. So who knows? This might be great for the NBL too. True. Well, Shui, it has been a massive, massive week. We've already gone far longer than we planned. What are you apt for? Well, it's not technically back this week, and it's also not sport, but I've just realised it's eight days until Season 8 of Wentworth starts. <laughs> what a show. Obviously, we have been missing out on a lot of sport, but we've also missed out on a lot of TV shows, so I'm super pumped for that. One of the best Australian dramas I've ever seen. Probably the best. Yeah, film. yeah. Look, in terms of sport, it's hard to go past the Sunday clash between West Coast and Collingwood. The Pies have been touted as the kings of Perth, and West Coast have finally found some form. Will Jordan Degoe's injury prove to be the difference maker? We shall see. How about yourself? Well, I'll say the third test of the Windies in England. Now the Windies are now five down, so it's looking increasingly like England may tie this one up. That's at T, so there's another whole session to go. So it's looking like that one might be one all. So I think that would be quite interesting to see coming up too. Mm, We'll have to keep our eyes on this for the next couple of hours. Until then, I'm Nath. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes.